And today we're going to be talking a lot about children, looking at a lot of children, celebrating children. And so I want to read a passage of Scripture from the lips of our Lord, recorded in the 18th chapter of Matthew, beginning with verse 2. He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. May we pray that the ministry and work of God's people in the world will help permeate the world with his message so that children and adults will not suffer, but the world will be changed by the penetrating power of Christ's love. Let's join hands and hearts together as we pray. Father, we thank you for reminding us that we do not have to be adults to enter the kingdom of heaven that we adults have to be childlike in our faith. Help us, Lord, to remember that though we may know a lot about things, including you, your word, your church, but that if we do not have the simple faith of a child, we've missed the foundation stone of living and the source of life. And so, Father, help all of us today have a spiritual checkup as we look into our hearts and lives and as we look at our church and its life and work and ministry in this city and beyond, that we will be a place where people come to know you as Lord and Savior, where lives are changed, where homes are stabilized, and where a community is changed. Bless this service to the end. That your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, will be honored and our lives strengthen, for we do pray this in his holy name. Amen. Be seated, please. We're going to insert something here that's not in your bulletin because it happened later in the week. Uh, I normally do my aerobic exercising, running, jogging, whatever, walking up at the Alamo Heights track, but uh, this week, one day uh, in the morning, I was going in the neighborhood, and we live about a block and a half from Woodridge Elementary School, and uh, I was going by there about the time all those kids were coming to school. And uh, parents escorting a lot of them uh, up to the front door. It's a time of change, and it's a time of a whole new world for some of them. And there's just a lot of apprehension. You know, children uh, are apprehensive too, and are concerned. And you can see it, but some of the hand-holding was going on, uh, backpacks and all trying to be kind of macho at times. but. It's a, it's a big day, big day for teachers, a big day for families. So uh, what I want to do this morning, in the next few moments, I want all of you children 
who have already begun school or are going to begin in the next few days, all of you from kindergarten all the way through elementary school, from kindergarten all the way up through elementary school, I want all of you to come down here and sit on these steps, and I want to talk to you for a few moments, okay? All of you come right on. You want your parents to come with you? Well, that'll be okay, too. Some of them need to go back to school anyway. So you all just come on down here and have a seat. You sit all the way up there, Carrie. You sit all, you all sit up there. Good. Isn't this beautiful? You all are just so pretty. Aren't they, aren't they wonderful? In, in the early service, um, when I came in, one mother was telling me afterwards, uh, one little girl uh, said to her mother, when I walked in, said, there's Bo. Uh, now, Avery's starting kindergarten. She's sitting right over there on the front row. Uh, she's not quite ready to join the group yet, but she will. This is her first Sunday in big church. And you see a lot of them who are wearing this little tag. I'm going to big church. This is their first Sunday in big church. So I want you, anyone you see this tag on, you make them feel especially welcome, will you? This is a big step. And so uh, it's, I'm bold. Now, Avery has renamed me, and that's fine with me. Uh, but uh, they're here, and, and for that we're grateful. We're proud of all of you. I want to talk to you for just a few moments. But before I do, I want to say a word to all of the teachers and all of the people here to work uh, in the public school and private schools of San Antonio, whatever your responsibility, counseling, administration, teaching. I want all of you in this room who are, in, who are in any way associated with education in San Antonio, I'd like you to stand. Would you please? All of you. That could be many, 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 many of you. Now I want you to pray for these teachers, for the administrators. It's a difficult world there, as you well know, and the changing times and pressures and all. God bless you who work with uh, education and teaching. You have our prayers and our support and our encouragement. Now, how many of you are in kindergarten? May I see your hand? That is wonderful. How many first graders? How many second graders? How many third graders? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, anywhere. <laughs> I want to talk to you for just a minute. You know, Jesus went to school just like you're going to school tomorrow, or sometime soon, maybe in the next few days. When Jesus was your age, at one time in his life, he was in kindergarten. He was in the first grade. He was in the second grade. He had to do homework. He had to learn. <clears throat> he had to study. He had to make friends. He had to learn to play games. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom. That means he learned with his mind, like you all are learning with your mind. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. He grew physically, like you're growing physically. He grew in relationship to God, man. He grew in relationship to God, like you are, by being here in church. And he grew 
and his relationship with other people like you are meeting friends. But you know something? I, I know, I just believe this. I know that Jesus was sometimes a, a little nervous about what was going on. It was all new to him. Are you ever a little nervous? A little strange thing at times? Ever a little afraid? And you want, you, you know, you, you, you wonder if you're doing it right and you wonder if they're going to, your friend's going to like you, and all of those things that happen to you. Jesus understands that because he has been right there exactly where you are. Now, here's the thing I want you to remember tomorrow, and I want you to let it stick in your mind, and I hope it will stay there for years and years and years. Tomorrow morning, when you go to school, Jesus is going to be right there with you because he can be everywhere. He is now in the first grade, and the second grade, and the third grade, and he's sitting right beside you, and he's going to help you. And sometimes when you feel a little afraid, or you wonder whether you're doing it right or not, and you're just kind of concerned about it, remember Jesus is there to help you. And he'll never leave you, he will never forsake you, and he will always take care of you, because he always loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. And tomorrow he'll be with you. So when you get up in the morning, just say, Jesus, help me today in school. And he'll be there all day long. He'll be there all the rest of your life if you invite him in. Can you do that? How many of you, well, just by raising your hand, you will be saying, Bo, I'm going to do that tomorrow morning. Will you do it? Okay? Now let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for these beautiful children incredible potential in each one of these lives is just beyond our imagination. We pray for those who teach them. God give them guidance, direction, wisdom from above. We pray for the homes from which these children come. And we pray that they will be conscious every day that you, Jesus, are with them in that classroom, on the playground, and that you will never leave them and never forsake them, and you will take away all fear and all anxiety and give us a quiet heart. Because we pray this for them in the name of the one who came to give us peace, your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, all of you can go back to your seat. Martha Fanning is going to sing, and then I'm going to talk for a few moments, and then we'll go home. That last uh, song she sang, You'll Never Walk Alone, is from uh, Carousel. It came to me as clearly as the voice of God has ever come to me in a dark time, a frightening time in my life. It was way back in the 60s. I was in Prague, Czechoslovakia. John David Hopper, president of International Seminary in in Prague now, then in Rusticon, Switzerland. He and I had been together in, in uh, Czechoslovakia and in Poland, preaching and meeting pastors. We'd come back to Prague, and uh, I was to leave the next day, but John David had to leave early the uh, first morning we were there, so I had all day and that evening by myself. And uh, a good friend of mine with whom I had uh, worked before and pastored, uh, a pastor there, I preached in his church, in the Baptist church in Prague, Pastor Stett, uh, who spoke English and was a friend. Uh, he was out of town. He was speaking. He was away in a, in a meeting. 
And I was uh, out walking around the streets of Prague and the old city near the Intercontinental Hotel where I was staying, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, I don't know anybody here. I don't know anyone I can call. If I begin to get sick, I, I don't know where to go or who to call. And the very thought of that made me sick. Uh, started taking my pulse and, you know, feeling I had fever or something. And, uh, no, it was, it, was, uh, it was a sudden thing that suddenly, and I couldn't speak the language. And uh, it began to drizzle, cold. And I got uh, very depressed. And uh, I was afraid. I wasn't going to happen. I went back to the hotel, and I was sitting there in a nice lobby. It was beginning to rain harder. And about that time, a swift ski team came in the front door to check into the hotel. They had on the most bright colors, and they were the most bright, happy bunch of kids I ever saw in my life. And they were checking in, and they were laughing and talking, a bunch of men and young women, all of them on this ski team coming there for an international competition. I thought, boy, I wish I knew them. I wish I knew what they were saying. I'd feel like to join their party. Um, and they checked in and left. And I was sitting there thinking, my, what am I going to do? Oh, I wish the evening would come, the night would come, and the morning would come, and I'd go home. And the hotel had uh, music playing in the hotel lobby. And I generally don't pay attention to it. I didn't uh, much then. But I was sitting there, kind of soaking in my self-pity, and all of a sudden, I heard a song in English, of course. You'll never walk alone. You may go through the storm, through the night. You'll never walk alone. I heard that as clearly as if God himself had said that to me. And I said, that's right. The Lord's in Czechoslovakia. The Lord's in Prague. The Lord's in me. I don't need to be afraid. Thank you, Carousel, for sharing the gospel truth with me. We're reminding me of it. I got up, put on my overcoat. I took off, went down into the old city, found some restaurants there where a lot of college students were, students at Charles University, and a lot of music being played and dancing. And I went down there, and two or three of them could speak enough English that I could converse with them. And I had a wonderful time, got back to the hotel late, left without any problem, got up the next morning and came home. Now listen, you'll never walk alone unless you choose to walk alone. You and I will never walk alone unless we choose to. For Jesus Christ has come as the Son of God to walk with us and to be with us under all circumstances, good and bad, up and down, day and night, extenuating or blessing time, whatever it might be, God is always present. And if there is one truth I want to emphasize for myself this morning, for you, and for all these wonderful children that we've looked at and talked about and prayed for, that God is with us. John Wesley said, the greatest of all is God is with us. If we choose to walk with him, that we can turn our back, we can refuse his presence, we can ignore him, we cannot make him leave, but we cannot, but we can keep him from being a meaningful companion with us in the journey of life. 
And that's one of the basics of life. That's one of the things we need to learn, need to remember. One of the basic truths of the gospel is that he said, I will never leave you and never forsake you, even when it's a troubled time. I remember uh, very well, Martha and I talked about it the other day, and I thought about it when I was running around the school up there. Uh, the first day that Michael, our oldest uh, son, went to Woodville, all three of our children went there, Mike, Steve, and Lisa. We live about a block and a half from Woodridge. And, uh, oh, that first day of school, that's a big event. I mean, boy, we went up there. We had cameras and other friends of Mike's and the Bowers. Uh, Carl and Jamie Newton were there with Billy, and they were all, they were in the same class. We took their picture out in front of the flagpole there in front of Woodridge. And uh, we waved goodbye to them. They went on into the school. And... Uh, Martha went home, I came to the office, and I'd been down here about two or three hours, and Martha called and said, guess what? Mike came home. <laughs> just walked in, he's walking about a block and a half away, he just decided to leave, so he got up and walked out of there. And uh, Martha said, Mike, what in the world are you doing here? He said, I don't like it up there. I'm coming home. And Martha reasoned with him and talked with him and took him back. And on the way back, he said, how long do I have to do this? And Martha said, I didn't tell him. Uh, he would never have gone back. Uh, when he received his PhD at Baylor some years ago, he was 36 years old when he did it. Um, after receiving it, Martha said to him in a little celebration we had after it, said, Mike, do you remember that day, that first day in school when you came home and you asked me, how long am I going to have to do this? If I had told you for the next 30 years of your life, <laughs> you're going to have to do this, he never would have done it. God leads us a day at a time, doesn't he? Why don't we let him? God just leads us a day at a time. He doesn't show us the whole picture. If he did, we wouldn't make the journey. We'd be terrified. We'd see some things out there we'd think we couldn't handle. And we can't as we look at them in the imagined future. But when the time comes, his grace is always sufficient for you. Whether it's a sad time or a glad time, whether it's a good day or a bad day, Whatever comes, and that menu comes into all of our lives in varying degrees all the years of our living. But whatever the circumstance may be, the presence of Christ is uninterrupted. His grace is sufficient for you. Thirty years before Jesus began his public ministry. Thirty years. Can you think that maybe he thought along the way he was working there in the carpenter shop knowing who he was and why he had come and what the Heavenly Father had commissioned him to do? Do you think he ever said, Father, is this the day? Is this the time? No. Not yet, my son. Not yet. You're learning about wood right now and you're learning about people and you're finding out that people are a lot like wood. Have to be tenderly cared for. There's some rough spots in there. Sometimes you come across a weak spot that you didn't know was there. You need to learn how to work with imperfect instruments, imperfect material, imperfect people. 
In all probability, his earthly father, Joseph, died, and Jesus was the head of the family with younger brothers and sisters. He was the responsible one. Is now the time, Father? Is this the day? And finally, God said, go. And he went, walking by faith each day, not knowing what was ahead, but all the way knowing that God was with him. God was with him to guide him in direction. That's a basic. That's a basic. I hope you'll, hope you'll put that in your heart and in your mind. Uh, Eddie Sears, who serves the Lord up at uh, Lady Lodge, uh, told me a story this past week, and I was with him, about uh, Vince Lombardi, that uh, football immortal, uh, coach for so many years of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Vince Lombardi, coach of the Packers, they were playing the Chicago Bears, then coached uh, by the owner coach, George Hallett. This was back in the, in the early days of the NFL, before they had so many teams, before they had color television. I remember watching the Chicago Bears on black and white TV. You remember seeing that out of the station in Chicago. And uh, we didn't have any teams in Texas or anywhere in the South much then. But uh, the Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers were just fierce opponents. They were close to each other, relatively close to each other geographically, but they were not close to each other emotionally. They really fought one another. Well, the Green Bay Packers were playing the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field, and the Bears just destroyed the Packers. They beat them to a pulp. They were defeated just ignominiously. The game was over. They went to the locker room. Vince Lombardi said, Keep your uniforms on. Don't change clothes. Don't take a shower. We're going to get on the airplane just like you are. They wondered what in the world. Here they were all beaten up and bruised and bloody, you know, and hurting. And took them out, got on that airplane. You imagine them with all the pads on stuff sitting there. It wasn't a long flight, but I'm sure it was uncomfortable, and they still had their cleats on, everything. Flew back to Green Bay. Got off the plane. Had buses waiting for them. He said, we're getting on the buses and we're going to the practice field. <laughs> and they went to the practice field thinking their coach had lost his mind. He said, all of you get out there in the middle of the field and sit down in a semicircle. He got there in front of them. There they were, still uniformed for the ball game, worn out, mad, everything. He said, gentlemen, it's time we got back to basics. Reached down, picked up a football, and he said, This is a football. <laughs> Say it after me. This is a football. And um, Max McGee, who, as I understand, was sort of the character, uh, said, Would you say that again, coach? <laughs> Yes, this is a football. Well, I want to say something to you today. We're not all at least visibly beaten up and bruised. We may be internally that way, but I want to give you a basic word. Jesus said this, marvelous message, a basic truth that I hope you'll put in your heart and in your life, as I hope I and pray I'll put it in mine and in my living. In the 14th chapter of Luke, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me, and here's an interesting word, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, 
He cannot be my disciple. Now, what's Jesus saying? Now, that word hate is translated that way in the King James and the New International Version and the New American Standard, but that little word really doesn't fully communicate what Jesus is saying because we interpret the word hate differently today than uh, they did when it was translated. But it's a paradoxical word. It's difficult to translate. What Jesus is saying, he's not contradicting the Ten Commandments. He's not contradicting the truth of God that we're not to hate, that uh, to hate someone is to, is, uh, is to murder them, according to the Word of God. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. So Jesus is not advocating hate in the modern connotation and interpretation of that word. What he is saying there is so significant. He is saying something so basic, so fundamental, so primary, so essential to effective living. And it is this. He must be first. It's a word of comparison, of comparative love. But the love you have for mother and father and wife and children and brothers and sisters, proper love. It should be filial love. It's divinely ordered. But what he is saying is this, that the commitment you have to me and the love you have for me is to surpass all of the other loves of life. Husband, wife, mother, father, children, brothers, sisters, yourself. Why is he saying that? Is it because he is on some sort of egotistical divinity trip? Not at all. He's not saying that out of jealousy. He's not saying that out of some sort of exclusivism for himself, that you will disregard all others and reject all others. No, what he is saying there is for our benefit. It's for our good. It's for our welfare. It's for the benefit of our relationship. He is saying, it is not until you put me first, above mother and father, wife, children, and brothers and sisters, and your own life also, that you will have the proper kind of redemptive, loving, helpful relationship to others that I want you to have and to be able to have. He's not saying that for himself. He's incapable of saying something selfish for himself. He is saying that. Jesus is saying that because he knows that when you and I put him first, when I put Jesus Christ first in my life, I'm going to be a better husband. And I'm going to be a better father. And I'm going to have a better relationship to those around me, to those closest to me, and to those that I may not even know. I'm going to have even a different attitude toward myself. I have a whole different feeling about myself when I realize that I have put God first. I commend you for being concerned about your families. We hear a lot about family values today. We're all concerned about them. That's true. We do need them. But listen, you and I will never have the kind of family values that we need and want until we put God first. And when we put God first, then we become better parents. You're a good parent now. I don't doubt that at all. You're trying hard to take care of your children and to make your home all it ought to be. Let me just say this. Jesus will do home improvement beyond anything you could watch on television. You let Jesus Christ be first in your life. And when he is first in your life, he will have a different relationship through you to those around you. His love in you will permeate to others. And you will begin to be a Christ-like influence upon other people. Suddenly, 
Maybe they'll not even know about it. It may come over some sort of spiritual music in their lives, but it will come at a significant time if you put Jesus Christ first. This is basic. Put him first in your life. Now, he goes on to make an interesting statement. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. We're not talking about carrying his cross, and he's not talking about carrying ours. He's saying, I want you to carry your cross. What, what is that cross? Is the cross you and I, right here, that Jesus is telling us we're to carry, is that some sort of uh, self-inflicted suffering? Sort of self-inflicted pain, emotional or otherwise? No. The cross is not a symbol of suffering. Oh, he suffered. There's no doubt about it. No, no doubt about it. But the cross is not primarily a symbol of suffering. The cross is a symbol of loving. The Jews didn't put him on the cross. The Romans didn't put him on the cross. Rome didn't put him on the cross. Pilate didn't put him on the cross. Love put him there. Love put him there. His love for you to take my sin and your sin. It was love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When you see that cross, let it remind you of love incomparable. Fathomless, eternal love. And he did it just for you. Just for you. Say, well, but I don't deserve that. Nobody does. He didn't do it because we deserve it. He did it because we need it. He did it because of love. So it makes no difference where you are, where you're coming from, what you've done. He died for you, and that cross is a symbol of his love for you. And so what he is saying here to us is that when we have put him first in our lives, then what happens? Then his love begins to fill us, and his love begins to live within us, and will live then out through us to those around us. Now, that kind of loving of other people may sometimes cause some pain. It may even cause some rejection. It may create some suffering, but you'll, you'll give that to God and say, Lord, out of my love for you, I'm going to go on loving you, and I want you to love the world through me. That's what carrying the cross is. It's not suffering. It's not dragging yourself through life with a sour face and a downcast disposition. It is celebrating the love of God for you, in you, and through you and through me to the whole world. So Jesus concludes this wonderful passage. Much more is said there. I have said enough, except I want to conclude with Jesus' conclusion. He said, in the translation in the King James, and to some degree in others, he said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying is, are you listening? When you walk through the storm, keep your head up high. Are you listening? For God so loved the world. Forget the world. Put your name there. God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. 
Are you listening? If you listen, you'll hear. And if you'll hear, you'll choose. He's already chosen you and loves you. You'll never have to walk alone if you'll choose to walk with him. That's basic. This is the football. This is the gospel. Trust him and follow him. And I'll stand here to welcome and greet you as you come into the life and fellowship of this church in any way you desire to be a member. The invitation is not mine, God. And so we invite you to hear it. Are you listening? And he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs>